There's no doubt about it. Trees give us many things, from carbon storage to musical instruments. The timber that is used mostly is European sycamore that's used for making the concertinas or mahogany is often used as well. From fruit trees like apples. And an apple is a wonderful thing to work with because look what you can do with an apple. To construction material. This is local timber. It's been used locally. The saw log I was in there is going to Murray's in Carlo. Um, I'm fairly certain that the stake material out of here will probably end up in, with Garrett Griffith in Paulstown. It's a local bioeconomy. It's good for the local businesses. It's good for local contractors. But above all, they give us happiness. When you're working with nature and when you're working particularly with trees, it certainly gives you satisfaction and you can go home at night, you know, you'll feel much more relaxed. Really? <laughs> yeah. So because this is the last programme in the series, then let's concentrate a bit more on trees and happiness, which can be experienced by some when out for a walk and by others when working with wood. Kilkenny Man McPower is National Estates Manager with Creature with responsibilities for biotic risk. And I met him for a walk and talk in Castle Morris Woodlands. We're here in Castle Morris Forest, not too far from Hogganstown in South Kilkenny. Uh, Castle Morris is an area of about 600 acres of mixed woodland, which is mainly laid aside for biodiversity. A lot of people would be very familiar with Castle Morris. It's a very popular walking area. We opened it as a loop walk about 14 or 15 years ago with aid from Leader and Declan Rice. And it was opened that night by Eddie Kerr with a massive crowd in attendance. And those crowds have not um, subsided. These trees are third generation, actually. Castle Morris was one of the old estates owned by the De Montmorency family at the time and as most people would be aware of their history, these big estates started to come under pressure in the late 1800s. After famine times, a lot of agitation in relation to land ownership and that type of thing, and the estates come under huge pressure. Mm. A lot of them were indebted, had no way of clearing the debt. The land had started to be divided, so their power base of tenant payments had gone. And, you know, there were too many of the estates in existence at the time for too many of them to survive right. and Castle Morris was one of those. Yeah. After the War of Independence a lot of these families left and went back to Britain or just went out of existence one way or the other. The state took them over and they were given land bonds for the land and that type of thing and a lot of the old estate areas had a forest base already and Castle Morris was no different. So the Castle Morris estate was handed over to the Forest and Wildlife Service at the time would have been in the 1920s and 1930s okay. and Castle Morris would have been one of those. It would have been planted at that stage. Some of the crops would have been removed and replanted. They are now gone and replanted again. So what you're looking at now is third generation forestry. What are we looking at here now at the moment? Like I'm seeing beach and uh, tell us what we're, what we're looking at. Well, you're walking through a lot of beach, uh, a lot of oak, Ash, it's a mixture of broadleaves and softwoods. Yeah. Uh, over time, the softwoods will be, will be removed and the broadleaves will be allowed to uh, populate the area. And it is a case, is it, that people do like that mixed forest, the mix of the, what, what we have here in Castle Absolutely. Park. Well, I say that on a regular basis, that it's not about... You get some people and they tell you that the whole country should be full of oak. That's a monoculture. Sitka spruce is a monoculture. People don't like monocultures, looking at the same thing all the time. 
they like a variety, they like a bit of landscape design, they like to see the way the forestry can fit into the landscape and enhance the landscape. And it does in most cases, you don't have too many complaints coming back around as the years pass by and you see the forest actually developing. Um, that's a very good thing. Now, you go to an organisation like the Tree Council of Ireland and the Tree Council of Ireland, they won't back any one species, but what they will say is the right species in the right place. There is no point in putting oak on the top of Mount Leinster. There is no point in putting Sitka spruce down the valleys. Mm. You know, you make your selection of species based on the ground that you're dealing with. Right. And that's very important. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't have a crop. For either biodiversity or commerce, it makes no difference. You won't have a crop. Um, if you just look on your left-hand side here now, Monica, you will see a beach plantation. Uh, and this is an area where we're practicing continuous cover forestry. This area here would have been planted in, uh, I think it's 1947. Now, we come in and we thin this very heavily about four or five years ago. And if you just look at the lower story here at present, and you can see all the species coming back into play. You have the oak, you have the sycamore, you have beech, you have ash. And all those small trees are now coming up. So over the years we'll go along, we'll remove more and more and more of the settled large species and uh, the smaller trees will come up and they'll be taking their place. That's continuous cover forestry. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's continuous cover forestry at its best. We don't have many areas like that here in this country, but Castle Morris is one. And you were saying that's natural, genera natural regeneration because you're not going in there and planting them. No, you're letting no. nature take its course and do what it wants. Absolutely, nature's taken over there, yes. Yes, yeah. that's what we want to do. That's what... That's what um, continuous cover forestry is all about. Yeah, yeah. So actually in the long term then it saves money and resources as well in that you're not coming in planting. Absolutely. There is no, um, there is no saving in continuous cover forestry. There's no expenditure in, in continuous cover forestry from a planting point of view and a harvesting point of view. But there is a management cost greater in continuous cover forestry than in um, ordinary conventional forestry mm -hmm. because you have a lot of selection to do. Yeah. I would go into that plantation now and I would walk around every tree. Would you? I would. And I'd pick out the dominant tree that you want to keep and you would thin around that. It's called a crown thinning. And you'd remove the small, less dominant ones and you'd be opening up the canopy underneath all the time. Yeah. That takes time and that costs. Yeah. You don't do that in conventional forestry. You go into the machine, you take out a line... You select here and there, like, you know, but the same thought and time doesn't go into conventional forestry as it does to continuous cover forestry. Yeah. But continuous cover forestry, from a forester's point of view, is the most enjoyable thing you can do. So you can spend days in the forest and all you have to argue with are the trees. Yeah. And they don't argue back. And you love trees, do you? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I'm in forestry now uh, 43 years at this stage. And I hope... To knock another few years out of it anyway, if I possibly can. Yeah. I think, you know, there's certain things that become ingrained in you that you can never get rid of. And I can probably never see myself doing a whole pile more uh, or my thoughts will always be in forestry. Yeah. I do other things as well. I do a bit of farming and that, but to a large degree, I'm at this for so long now, I couldn't see too much changing, to be honest with you. Yeah. And have you seen changes over the years then, Mick, you know, in, in relation to trees and, 
you know, how they're viewed and, and you know... Absolutely, sort of yeah, th- there's been huge changes. I, I do believe that in about maybe, about the turn of the century, I think people started to turn their heads to forestry. They started to explore a little bit more. The nature programmes being broadcast on the television turned people's heads to nature. And they started to explore forests. Before that, it wasn't that much. Uh, when I joined first, I joined the Department of Lands, Forest and Wildlife Service. It wasn't in the Department of Agriculture. And we moved around through different government departments at that time. And I suppose to a degree we were like the Jews wandering in the desert. Nobody really nailed us down. We were just out there establishing forests. Yeah. But in the late 1980s, uh, Quilter was established. And we were tasked, tasked with the, um, well, the task of establishing a forest company that was run on commercial lines. Yeah. And we'd done that and uh, put a lot of energy into that at that time, into the 90s and the noughties. Again, we were very much involved in the establishment programme, putting down a lot of new forests. Uh, there was a huge harvesting programme to be put in place because all the softwoods that were planted back in the 50s and 60s 60s were coming into production. Uh, we had the establishment of Medite and Smart Ply. We had sawmills popping up, being modernised and moving on. New harvesting equipment coming on stream. New haulage systems. New roads being put in. There was huge development at that time from a commercial background. But as I say, during the, the turn of the century, I suppose, people started to become more aware of the landscape they were living in the peace of rural Ireland, certainly the peace of forestry. And, you know, that's what people started to move into at that stage, which was great, like, you know. I would have always had that mentality from the word go. And uh, that kind of grew on me very quickly. But uh, Quilter also had to adapt to that level of scrutiny coming at him, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So at that stage, we established the open forest policy. We said to people, please come and walk in the forest, see what we have see the solitude and the harmony with nature that's there and people did but I think that was really copper fastened during the pandemic when people weren't allowed to go any place but they came to their local forest now we're walking Castle Morris here during the pandemic you would be bumping into people every few metres along the road cars parked all over the place and I think people really picked up on the value uh, of what we have at this point in time you know I think it was excellent Another man at his happiest, alone and with wood, is Liam Kerwin. I'm not one for television and computers wouldn't be my best friend. So to get into my comfort zone, I'll come out here and I can either think about it or make something. So I'm happiest when I'm out here. This will be a bit dusty now. Liam is a wood turner and works from his shed at the back of his house in Clara, County Kilkenny. He's self-taught and has been at the wood turning for about 20 odd years. When I started wood turning, I bought a lathe, but I hadn't a clue about anyone that was turning or anything about it. But then I read an article about a friend of mine that a fellow I went to school with. He was instrumental in starting up the Irish Wood Turning Guild. Mm. Now, the Irish Wood Turning Guild has chapters all around the country. 
chapters is what they're called. They're like clubs, they know, chapters. Yeah. Yeah. So he and a number of others were instrumental in setting up that. Yeah. So when I heard that then, I was hooked on Woods Hernan. In the chapters, we hold a meeting once a month, apart from COVID. So when you go to those, someone will be demonstrating and you can ask questions and you learn that way. But it'd be basically self-taught. There's about 1,200 woodturners in Ireland. They're mostly men. Yeah, women would be minority and it'd be mostly retired men maybe. They make up a group of about 25 and people who visited St Luke's Hospital over the past four years or so will be familiar with the work of the Southeast Woodturners. We have an exhibition of pieces that were made for an All-Ireland competition in the Woodturning Guild. So we won it six years in a row. Now, they consist of a full-size man's bicycle completely made of timber. A miniature traction engine, a one 10-size cement mixer, a spinning wheel that's full-size. And the hospital facilitates us with a display cabinet in there, which is super to look at. With the bicycle in particular, we got a 1947 rally bicycle, I think it was. And we took it all apart and we gave one fella the wheels, another fella the frame, another fella the handlebars pedals, carrier, saddle. So they all went home and made their pieces and then we assembled it down in Benny's Bridge. The members of the guild, including Liam, get their wood from members of the public. If someone volunteered timber, we'd make them a bowl out of it and then we'd have the makings of eight or ten bowls maybe. Do you know, so that's the way we barter for it. Um, So they're pretty much all local then? Would they be the... The timbers? Yeah. They would, yeah, to be all Kilkenny or whatever. Some of the trees, like that one, would have came from Mount Juliet. This one came from a farm near Gorsbridge, where my grandfather worked in the 1940s. This here is a tree that grew in the Castle Park for 250 years. And when it fell down, they gave it to wood turners and joiners and carvers, anyone who would make something out of it because they didn't want to burn it for firewood. Was that that lovely beech Big, tree? Yeah, it was purple beech. Yeah. yeah, that's very popular now. There's very little of it left. I still make some pens out of it. That was a lovely tree. Oh, sure. There was millions of photos taken of. Any other stories related to any um, of them? This is you. Um, you mostly only grows in graveyards or in the like of um, in the steg, in the estate, big estates. Um, that can be very colourful. And would very, you know all the all the trees? Would you, you would know a lot of them, but it'd be hard to distinguish between the fruit woods. You know, pear, plum, apple, especially if they were all about the one age or era. They can be very similar. Um, London Plain which came from Mount Juliet, is very easy to recognise. That's the timber that would grow in the main streets in Dublin, London or Paris or anywhere. It I soaks up a, uh, a pollution. Kind of, no. no, it's more, I think it's related to the sycamore species. And what did you say, it sucks up pollution? Yeah, it's big leaves like um, sycamore.
the ash, of course, we should all know what ash looks like from under hurleys. Yeah, paler than all of them, isn't it, really? It is, and it has wide years of growth on it as well. Yeah. You know, it's easy to recognise it. And would you have an appreciation now for trees, Liam? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't knock down trees if you could help it. So there'd be all windfalls or road clearance or something like that. Mm. We have ash trees around the garden there. You might see them through the door. I had to get three surgeons to come and cut branches off of those and there was one or two of them had to come down. And I stored them. That's pieces of them there. An awful lot more, but you would keep them then to try and get some use out of them, not burn them. I'd say you'd be loath to burn a piece of timber, oh, would you? I'm told I should clear this shed. <laughs> but if I pick up a piece like that, I think, gosh, I might make something out of it. No, I'll leave it there. Yeah. So everything builds up. There's timber in there for the last 20 or 25 years. Yeah. Didn't get to it yet. But you will. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Liam turns a huge range of things from wood, like pens... I make pens out of about 32 different Irish timbers. There's bowls. Bowls, which are fruit or salad bowls. They can be ornamental. That is walnut. It's real dark and rich looking. Candle holders and lamps. This is one of a pair of bedside lamps. The timber came out of Mount Julie in about 97 there was a big golf match played there between Tom Watson and Freddie Couples. And we could go in and walk around behind the golfers and hear them talking to one another. And they'd play the match and then they'd show it on YouTube all around the world. So they had to cut down a couple of trees seemingly to make way for helicopters and cameras and whatever else. So this London playing tree, was that's where I got that timber. Yeah. As you see, it's easy to recognise. Like, how would you describe the way that grain goes? It's like what? A herringbone, really, isn't it? Up the middle. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. Liam also makes jewellery boxes, earrings, and he does commissions too. I had a request from a woman to make mementos out of a family apple tree that was about 100 years old. It was actually grown in a house belonging to one of the 1916 leaders and she wanted to know what could I make out of it so I said I'd have to see it first to see how good it was but I ended up making numerous bowls Uh, I'll just show you one piece here that would look similar to what I would have made um, so, so that's kind of textured in a way, isn't it, at the edges? The outside of it here is the outside of the tree. But, um, and you'd never really know then, would you, until you go start turning what the tree looks like inside, or do you? No. You could give quite a bit for timber, and when you get it, it might be no good. It could be all, as we say, shakes or cracks internally. Mm. So it's a bit of a hit and miss with spalted beech or... Whatever, but in general, they'd be good most times. And why do those cracks occur anyway in the first place? Well, I think that might apply more to walnut. Do you know in Ireland, the way you have a lot of branches out of the trees, if a tree fell, when that branch had hit the ground, it had sent shock or shudder back into the centre of the tree. Yeah. 
So it could, I think it happens more in walnut. It would send all these miniature cracks back into it, and then when you go turn it, um, they'd all show up and it wouldn't be any good. I would call that a little knot now there. See that? Uh, yeah. Do you know how that comes about in it? It would have been a small bit of a branch at some stage. When the tree was younger, it might have been broken off. That's why you'd be small like that. They can look very attractive. Yeah, they can. Um, They're lovely. And of course, before anything is done, the timber has to be dried. We have to dry it down to about 10% moisture. Drying is nearly the most important part because you could go to all the bother of cutting out blanks and rough turning and then it could crack and then it's all wasted. And then, no matter how intricate the turned wooden piece is, if it's not nicely finished, then a wood turner is at nothing amongst his peers. You don't want some other wood turner coming along and thinking, look at that, how would you leave it that way? <laughs> so you have to think of the other wood turners. <laughs> would there be competition between you all? <laughs> <laughs> no, a nice competition, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, the ordinary person mightn't see these lines, but to us, we'll notice them. <laughs> so you have to try and make sure you do them right. So to achieve these two important parts, a good wood turner needs patience. Patience and not rushing things. Always be prepared to learn. The kind of characteristics that we also extend to trees. Here's an interesting fact about trees. In Ireland, the forest estate is an important carbon reservoir, amounting to over 310 million tonnes of carbon in 2017. Trees from seed to sawdust is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine as part of the Woodland Support Project.